Hi Matthew, I'm Bill Willoughby. I'm the CEO of Cypress Development Corp. We're a lithium explorer and developer. Uh, our project is the Clayton Valley Lithium Project in Nevada. Bill, good to see you. Been a long time. July 2020, would you believe? When we, when we didn't know what COVID really was. Yes. Can you remember? Um, hey, well, good to yeah, see you. Yeah, that was pre-COVID the last time. Yeah, it, um, it was, um, well, we're just getting to throes of it. Do you remember March through to July? We literally didn't know what was coming. Um, by the way, congratulations. Things obviously moved on significantly since we um, last spoke. I think your big problem when we saw you last was how do we get this thing funded? Um, and it seems the market has been not shy in giving you um, capital. But uh, so I want to catch up and see what you've been doing, obviously, but more importantly, what you're going to be um, doing. Um, market at the moment, how, how are you feeling about it? What, what does this cost curve for lithium look like and where's it going? Well, on the lithium side, it's been strong and it continues to stay strong. That's a positive. Um, I think the, everyone knows the markets are rather opaque right now where we're going, but um, a lot of commodities have, are in the process of pulling back. Gold, copper, you know, you've seen declines there. But lithium stays strong. I think it will continue to have strength as long as the auto manufacturers and markets stay strong. So the demand for green energy is here and uh, we're, we're working to be part of that. Right, but it's, it's, it's just I'm trying to understand the sort of the economics around the sustainability of the price because if, if I listen to most CEOs of lithium companies, they're all coming on <laughs> into production at some time, and you know we've even had like I think we had one CEO come on here um, and talk about being able to supply the the, the whole world's uh, needs. Um, you know, you kind of got the big big guys down in South America also able to kind of turn the tap on. It's like it, it you know can the price sustain? What, Will, will demand outstrip supply? Well, all the forecasts show several times growth from where we're at right now. And growing to, say, um, better than a million tons per year of lithium carbonate demand, say, by 2025 even. Uh, we're somewhere right around 600,000 tons a year, I believe, worldwide. Our main focus is being a uh, U.S. domestic source of lithium. There's uh, good optics on that right now. The, U.S. Has, wants to source its uh, lithium domestically, and uh, there's something like 13 gigawatt factories that have been announced coming online for the U.S. Um, say just alone, if you have GM and LP, uh, their last announced one was a 50 gigawatt hour plant. Uh, for that, you need about, say, 35, 40,000 tons of lithium carbonate a year to feed it. Um, our project, we're trying to hit that number between 20 and 30,000. So we see that the demand is there domestically, and uh, that's the niche that we're trying to fill. Okay. I mean, and, and, and in terms of the U.S., we've talked about critical mineral lists for decades, but it's starting to come a little bit more, feel a little bit more real. We've seen it with um, uranium. We're seeing it now with battery metals um, broadly and that, that kind of U.S. ecosystem. But is, is the money following suit? And, and if, if so, where's that money coming from? Is industry stepping into the, into the breach here? Is it OEMs, battery manufacturers? Um, or, you know, is the street still providing the capital that you need? So far, the street has provided us with the capital we need to get through the pilot stage and feasibility. As we move further, we're looking more to conventional financing and say a possible joint venture partner to come in and help. That could be a major miner or a chemical company or even on a power side. We're looking for our process is power intensive. 
uh, green energy, uh, solar, geothermal, probably will wind up being a component of that. So we're, we're looking at a lot of creative options in that regard. So, Right. And in terms of, you've, you've obviously got the pilot plant up and running and you, you know, you've talked about being able to um, produce uh, lithium carbonate, right? So you, what, you know, what, for, if you can just talk about the pilot plant, is that, is that, is that phase st- finished now? You're looking to kind of move through to, you know, actually building a, a full demonstration plant or indeed a, a production plant? I mean, how, how's it work? What was the plans? Well, we've been operating our pilot plant for about nine months now. We've collected, I think, most of the data that we actually need to do the feasibility study. So where we're at with the pilot plant now is moving more into a demonstration optimization mode where we're looking to try some different ideas on the process itself, uh, working on the extraction of the lithium from the clay. Uh, I think the direct lithium extraction, the DLE portion of it's working well. Uh, but just uh, continuing to operate the pilot plant in more of a demo mode and show people that it works and gain more data that way. Right. And so how much, how much did you rate? How much did the pilot plant cost? Oh, it was under $2 million for us. It was quite reasonable. We, we were fortunate. We acquired by lease a site about 100 miles south of the project in Amargosa Valley. And that site was a former gold refinery, so it already had the building, the permitting, everything was in place. Um, personnel there were uh, available to us, so we trained them up as operators for the pilot. And that probably saved us a couple million dollars and jump-started the program by at least uh, six months to a year. Right. And can you, can you continue to utilize that pilot plant as part of the sort of next next phase, whether it be demo or, or, or full plant? Oh yeah, it's on a, an eight acre site. Uh, we've got a 12,000 square foot building of which we're really using only half of it right now for the processing part. Uh, there's room to expand there if we need to go to more of a demo stage. We're running about a ton, ton and a half of material through it right now. Right, and and just so to kind of, like, I think we actually had a little chat before we started. We just got, I just want to keep this kind of helicopter um, level because we haven't, spoken for a, a couple of years right over a couple of years um just trying to kind of get a kind of all the moving um parts um uh, and trying to understand you know what, what they are where they're at at the moment and then perhaps you said that you come on to part two with us which is we'll get a little bit more technical um uh for people that want us to get want us to go there but so can i just just sort of tip my hat towards that now though which is with because the dle thing that i think last time out was the right where's the money coming from and obviously dle unknown uh on unquantified technology really and you know it needed to kind of work quite hard to get people to believe that it you know it, it, it could produce economically so you've acquired a technology you have produced it's at pilot plant level which is better than lab but can that how does how how do the economics now relate to what the economics could be when you kind of ramp up and or scale up in this? Well, a lot of the the numbers that we've generated out of the pilot plant have been consistent. We've seen with what we had in the PFS in terms of acid consumptions, in terms of uh, um, power costs. They're all expected. Uh, we haven't really seen anything that's unusual. I would say, um, let's back up and rethink this process. The DLE portion we acquired from Chemionics. Chemionics' license rights were acquired just recently by Coke Industries, Coke being a multi-billion dollar company worldwide. So there's a kind of an endorsement, you might say, 
that that technology is worthwhile and worth pursuing. Uh, the type of direct lithium extraction that we do is based on ion exchange. That's not unusual. That's basically water treatment and uh, has been used for years and years. So, um, yeah, and nothing really in our pilot plant is that um, strange or unusual to the chemical or mining industry. So we look at the pilot plant and see how we can scale it up. But Bill, there's a kind of mystery around this kind of, you know, uh, lithium clays, right? You know, it's, it was unusual. Um, not many people were doing it. It was hard rock or brine were the two options and clay sort of, I guess, set, felt like it sort of sat somewhere in the middle. Um, so do you, th do you think the market now understands how lithium clays, you know, have a part to play in all of this? Um, do they believe that they will be able to produce? I think you've got two good examples at Thacker Pass and Rylite Ridge that have progressed very well. Uh, back in Aura down in Sonora is, uh, I'm not sure of the current status, but it got through a demo plant stage. So yeah, there's questions around it. Nobody's doing it just yet, but can you recover uh, by leaching metals from clay? Well, China does it for rare earths all the time. So it's just a different form, different uh, approach. Uh, the power costs and the asset consumptions all look in line and that's economic. I don't see a reason why it shouldn't go go ahead. No, no there's, a lot of, there's a lot of conversation around, you know, you know we've, we've had you know, a few of the companies, you know, um, Iron Air and uh, Ionic, um, is like, yeah, is Ionic, uh, Noram and American Lithium, et cetera, all on talk. I, that's iconic, that's it. Uh, talking the same um, game um, and you know, it seems seems to me there's been a shift, or quite frankly, an education on the behalf of brokers and funders about the, its possibilities, which is significantly advanced from where it was a couple of years ago, when there were, I think there was uncertainty around it. So, yeah, I, I, I accept. Well, I'm going to jump in and say all clay deposits aren't the same. They've got different locations, different problems that they have to go through. Um, I. You mentioned Ioneer, they're a combined lithium and borate deposit. So some of their economics is based on boron. You have, uh, just for uh, similarity, we're probably a lot like Thacker Pass, lower grade, however. Uh, some of our issues are different than what we you see at Thacker Pass. Our clay is right at the surface, it's flat, it's easily um, excavated. And we have a different regime in terms of acid consumption. On our material so there are differences and likely there's differences in the approach and uh, the type of impurities you're dealing with much like a brine yeah yeah no understood um different different sets of challenges and uh, i guess different economics as a, as a result of that and it's but it, it, so how, how do you how do you kind of communicate why yours is going to be the one that will make it out the other side versus what whatever people may think of the other players in the space. Because I think the U.S. ecosystem is really, really interesting now in terms of it's a big conversation in the context of Russia, Ukraine, and you know, critical mineral this and, and, um, and, and, and uh, metal security is, it means something right now. Mm -hmm. So how do you it take does. advantage of that? Well, I think our way we communicate is by doing. And that's what we've been doing with our pilot plan, with our feasibility study, with everything that we're doing and moving the project forward. So seeing is believing, and that's our focus, is to bring it along and show that our process works, show that we can deal with it and make a battery-grade product at the end. 
And I think uh, we've accomplished tremendous amount of work in the last year and a half, thanks to all our people. Right. Okay. So next phase, you, you produced, you've produced, you've kind of put, you've, you're going to put out a, a feasibility study. Um, you've got a sense of the recovery rates and the, and the, the, the network um, broadly. You're going to have to, you know, move to the next phase, which is providing product or samples into markets. So there's a there's that the whole process to go through. What's the outreach um, to you been like? Because we, when we spoke to batch manufacturers or OEMs broadly, they they're very keen to get some sense of where the supply comes from. It they're moving upstream, as it were. They're trying to get involved with a lot of um, your peers. Um, we've seen a few contracts signed over the over the last twelve months um, to ensure that you obviously would like that because it gives you some certainty around your financing and um, and cost of financing. So, any conversations going on right now? Well, we've had conversations, but we haven't gotten to the point of saying we want an off-take agreement. We want to encumber the project with anything other than uh, keeping ourselves open to the options of financing and uh, possible partners at this point. We obviously don't want to do a offtake agreement that might limit, say, a major miner coming along and jumping in with us. Right. But it's obviously a bit early for that. But is anyone else putting their hand up and going, when you're ready? Because I don't know how much you've actually produced from the pilot plants. Um, but obviously, you're going to have to produce a lot more samples. Oh, we've done about 25 or 30 kilos right. or so of material so right. far from the final polished battery grade material. And with that, that's enough to ship it around to say auto, auto manufacturers and you know, see if they like it or not. But um, they're not really the ones you want to go battery, battery producers. So it'd be people like LP or Panasonic, Tesla. Tesla as well, right? So it, what is what is the size of what what? How many target offtakers are there in the U.S. in this ecosystem? Because you, you you know obviously most. People would look to Korea or Japan in terms of, well, we're going to get ex-China here um, as battery manufacturers, possibly even Europe. But in, in the U.S., what's the size of the ecosystem there? There's not a large number. I'd say three or four, perhaps, right now. Um, but as you, you know, world needs more uh, EVs and more battery producers, then they'll there's more. There's a lot more options out there that we aren't exploring at this point. Right. Okay. It's a very short Christmas card list. Um, so, so what, what do you what do you what do you do about that? Or you know, is that something that you're yet, yet to kind of get into? Or do you recognise that at some point you're going to have to start putting yourselves out there um, to those small handfuls of battery manufacturers and let them know that you're going to actually be able to deliver? I mean, I would say that that's at least a four or five months down the road for us. Okay, it's not too far away. That it's gonna depend on t what sort of partnership and relationship we develop from this point, as far as uh, JV partners or uh, uh, potential investors coming in. You, know, you could have a okay. party come in that has um, you know, metals marketing as part of their, their corporate structure and they wanna do that. And having an existing offtake would possibly encumber that. So that type okay. of partner coming in or financing. Right, okay. 
And and just and again, I'm just trying to get this kind of broad, broad for for day because I'm trying to get get a, a sense of all the moving parts. With with Gusto Nevada, obviously great managing jurisdiction, but it's sort of been sort of mixed feedback for us in terms of what the government says. They want to be a green economy and support battery revolution versus the kind of increased amount of paperwork around environmental um, licensing permits, etc. Um, how easy is it actually to, to do business in relation to what the government is promising? Well, permitting in the U.S. can be very difficult. It's, it's, you can't you know, gloss that over. However, for where we are, I look at projects by what's the actual site like, what's the infrastructure around it, and what are the challenges in the permitting process. For our site, we um, really have no surface water of concern. Uh, the aquifer below us is a saline brine. So um, the uh, groundwater protection is, is um, almost built into the project. It's a clay, you know, the runoff from clay is gonna be minimal. Uh, we're in a great location being in an arid climate with sparse vegetation there. We've done a year's worth of baseline st studies and more. Uh, we know what the flora and fauna is like on the site. Uh, there's no threatened endangered species. So that part of the uh, permitting process looks good. We still have more cultural work to do, but as so far as our baseline work, uh, we don't see any real cultural concerns that we're going to have to work around. So just the permitting aspects of our project, I think, will prove themselves to be different than, say, IME or Thacker Pass, those types of projects where they do have concerns that have been identified. So. Right, okay, interesting. Well, I guess if you've got the plant through, you must have done some meaningful work to have got that through. Um, and you can utilize that in the feasibility studies that, that's coming up, can you? Or is, you, is there more work to do? Right, I mean, something can always crop up on a project and that then hits the headlines and becomes part of the story on the project and you have to deal with it. You can't move a deposit, however, that's awful hard to do. So you have to deal with what mother nature gives you. And what we have at our project site, I think is about as good as you're gonna come across in the US. And with the goes to, again, coming back to this US government question, um, we've seen this in other, in other um, metals and other commodities where you know, the US government talks, talks, talks a good game and this occasionally actually comes up with some money. So in terms of funding for feasibility studies, um, in terms of um, f funding that you can apply for, quite grants, et cetera, uh, or even incentives. So you, are you tapping into any of that? Uh, we've had some discussions with uh, DOD and DOD. So that type of funding could come available to us. More likely, the point we jump in on it is after we have the feasibility study completed and we are fairly well along in the permitting process. Uh, we intend to kick off our permitting, the NEPA process here in another month or so, since we have the documents together and, and put that in front of BLM. Right, okay. Okay, and what's the time frame for something like that? Well, we're hoping that we can go through the NEPA process and all of the permitting in about a year, year and a half. Right, okay. And, and where, where's that put you in terms of... And that's the most significant permit, is getting a record of decision and then um, going through the EIS. So the uh, other permits we'll need, we'll need a water pollution control permit from the state, air quality permit. Those are 
I wouldn't say a shorter time frame. The water pollution control permit can take you over a year now, but uh, hopefully we can streamline these things and get those moving on at least. Right. Okay. Okay. Were you? Sorry, I could ask. Were you at um, any? Have you done any conferences recently? Any conferences? Well, uh, I went to a, a conference last week, which was the Global Clean Energy Action Forum in Pittsburgh. Is just attending. That was interesting. Right. As far as presenting, I think we've done a benchmark one or two and a couple others. Right. Okay. But that one last week was the first one in person that I've gone to. <laughs> no COVID to report. Um, it, it, yeah, it's, it, I'm just sort of intrigued by the sort of the, um, the this kind of move back to you know, conferences. It's, it's, it's back again. I think people are taking advantage of that. Um, you know what you sort of what you kind of feedback. I know we have on. a number of them on the schedule coming right. up over okay. the next couple of months. Right in Europe, uh, I'm mainly focused on the North America, U.S. So I'm not planning to go outside of the country yet. Okay, no, sorry. There's, there's about three uh, coming up in Europe, so um, we'll, we'll. I still like the virtual conferences. Yeah, much more. Those are easy to get. They're through. efficient. Yeah. Um, Okay, interesting, interesting. So, and so with the cost, you, you, as I said at the beginning, you've kind of found it easy to kind of actually, well, maybe easy is the wrong word, but you, you have been able to get money when you've needed it. Um, how much are you selling on at the moment? Oh, we probably have close to 30 million Canadian in the bank. Right. Roughly. Right. Enough that, to finish off our feasibility study and get well into permitting. And we will be looking for additional financing down the road. We don't like to draw down the bank account to nothing. So. Right. Okay. And and so so it gets you through the feasibility and through through permitting. Um, and what's that kind of timeline? Where does that take you to? Well, that would be all of next year on the permitting side for sure. Uh, we'll continue to run the pilot plant, continue to work on optimizing and producing product from there, and maybe even step it up and put more material through it. Right. And what what could, what could that look like? Because there's a bit that intrigues me. But you know, companies like yours they, they go through those phases. You know, pilot plant demo production, right? Um, so you, is this still because it's, there's still kind of some science to work out that, you know, in terms of can we get the recovery rates higher? Can we um, remove impurities more efficiently? It, it, it's still, you know, you're inward looking at the moment. At what point could you use the pilot plant to actually try of get, you know, get some of these interested parties um, on board as it were? Well, I think we're in the process of doing that right now. It's looking at the process and seeing what can we do in terms of uh, temperature bleaching or acid concentration, um, way we're neutralizing the impurities. We're trying that on every run. We run about a seven to 10 day continuous cycle that gives us meaningful data. And from that, we um, change a few parameters every time we do a run, I think we're on about our 20th or so continuous run now. Right. So interesting. interesting. It is a, there is more things that we can do. Uh, one thing that's critical to us is the acid consumption. Right now, we're probably in the ballpark of 100 to 120 kilos a ton on uh, consumption of hydrochloric acid. We would like to see that number way lower. And rather than build a bigger acid plant, we'd like to just cut the consumption of the acid down and then be able to keep or even exceed that target uh, production out of the plant. So, you know, there's always things that can do, but I think in the clay space, there's, there'll come a time when we see a breakthrough and the acid number will drop down and we will uh, 
then be a whole lot more productive with the project, be a lot more interesting at that point. Yeah, for sure. And, and how do you... It's interesting right now in terms of economics. Yeah. So don't downplay that part. You know. No, never. Um, with regards to people, though, I mean, has it been, obviously, through, you've been through a COVID period um, where, you know, people can't travel. Um, quite frankly, people, people are in short supply and therefore prices are going up. Have you got the people, find it easy to get the people that you want and, you know, going forward, giving you moving through to slightly, you can start moving through a different slightly phase in the next sort of six months or so, you know, are you going to be able to find the people that you need to be able to help you with that? Because I guess you're all hands to the pump and... Well, as we go down the road and get closer to uh, building and construction, obviously we need a lot more people. Um, that's a work plan that still needs to be developed to find all, all the personnel we have. Uh, we've gotten to this point quite well with our owner's team, which basically is a group of consultants that we've assembled. So um, some people don't need to work full time. We you know, use them part time and others are working 150% of the time. Right. Okay. So you like that kind of outsource model. Um, okay. Interesting. Um, well, look, um, look, Bill, I just wanted to sort of t touch base with you, but, but um, perhaps if we can get you back on, if you don't mind, we can just a slightly more technical session. This is really for an audience who not, haven't kind of got exposure to your project um, to get them to kind of a look in and sort of tip their hat at it. But um, I'd be happy to go a lot more technical next time around. You can tell us a little bit more about the... But, but the technology, um, what, what, it, what it's achieving, um, and you know, quite frankly, how this thing moves forward and, and into commercialization, because that's the, that's the bit that everyone's interested in is like, you know, when does this thing um, make money, and then how do you get that finance? If you're, if you're up for that, we can do a part two to this conversation. Sure, brilliant. Do you good opportunity to do that? Brilliant. Okay, I appreciate that. But we'll look, we'll give you a shout and. Uh, and trying to arrange a date with you. So I appreciate your time today and we'll uh, see you soon, okay? Okay. Thank you, Matthew. Appreciate that. Take care.